This episode is brought to you by Select International Tours and Cruises. Pilgrimage is an experience like no other. Through sacred travel, you are physically brought to a place of great treasure, history, and depth, and experience a personal journey, which isn't just lived once, but over a lifetime through memories, cultural awareness, and a greater understanding of the faith, customs, art, and history of that land. Our spiritual director is Father John Michael Paul, the pro-provincial of the Americas for the community of St. John. We have been partnering on pilgrimage for four years now. And the Select International guides and team are the best. Find out more about upcoming trips by visiting selectinternationaltours.com slash BTS. That's selectinternationaltours.com slash BTS. Gabriel Media presents The Brooke Taylor Show Encounter, Adventure, Evangelize And now your host, Brooke Taylor Hello, hello, hello And welcome to the show Today's guest is Father Frank Pavone He'll be joining us Also want to talk about that This is already the month of September Dedicated to Our Lady of Sorrows In a week where we mark the feast of Our Lady of Sorrows. And in her life, we know that Our Lady endured many trials, but tradition tells us of seven sorrows of Mary. One, the prophecy of Simeon, the flight into Egypt, loss of the child Jesus for three days. Then Mary meets Jesus on his way to Calvary, the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. The sixth sorrow of Mary is the body being taken from the cross. We think of the Pieta and then the seventh, the burial of Jesus. And so this is a good month, a good day right now to meditate on those seven sorrows. And we know that particular graces are bestowed when we meditate on that which is related to the title. And one of the richest reflections, I'm going to link it up in the show notes because I think you could actually take now through the rest of the month and just a little bit at a time, read this reflection. It was written by Fulton Sheen. It's called The Queen of the Seven Sorrows, written in 1934. Like all masterworks, it's best enjoyed slowly in Lexio fashion. So I will link it up for you, but I also want to give you a glimpse right now. I want to read the final passage. It's a prayer after the final sorrow. So the seventh sorrow, that final sorrow is the burial of Jesus. He writes, Mary, thy heart is everything to us. It is a living altar stone on which the sacrifice is offered. It is the sanctuary lamp which jumps with joy before its God. It is the server, the beatings of which are like the responses of the liturgy. It is the paschal candle which lights the sanctuary of our souls by the sacrifice of self. It is the thurible which gives the sweet odor of incense as it burns in love for us. It is a whole angelic choir singing voiceless songs into ravished ears of the bleeding host, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Mary, sacristan of souls, as thou wert the sacristan of Jesus, a good life is worth nothing if it not be crowned with a happy death. We shall spend our whole life, therefore, asking this of thee, if it be only to gain it at the end. Thy divine Son said he would not leave us orphans, but Mary, we shall be orphans unless thou art our mother. Amen. Again, 
It's The Queen of the Seven Sorrows by the Venerable Fulton Sheen. I'll link it right up for you. And as we contemplate the heart of Mary, I think it really ties in to today's episode, to this show, considering the heart of a mother pierced through the loss of a child through abortion. And that's been the life's mission of our guest today, to give the unborn a voice and a chance at life, defending their right to life, ministering to the mothers, post-abortive women, men, families, educating, guiding, praying for a nation that would be a true custodian of life from the womb to the tomb. And that is our friend of the show, Father Frank Pavone. I had a chance recently to sit down with him in person. So you'll hear this interview was pre-recorded at the Catholic Marketing Network. And you can tell because you'll hear chairs moving and a table being dragged, I think, at one point and people walking by. But I also wanted to mention that because when we did pre-record the conversation, it was before the Texas heartbeat law came down. So that is why you won't hear us directly addressing that. But I do want to read a statement from Father Pavone about that. We said it would happen. It is happening. The Texas law has gone into effect protecting unborn babies from the time of detectable heartbeat. The abortion empire is crumbling. Texas is leading the way. Thank you, Texas. Let's call on all states to pass heartbeat laws to protect the unborn. Thank you, Father Frank Pavone. And in our interview today, you will hear us talk about the planning already underway for March for Life and Walk for Life, as well as cancel culture, even within the church. I so appreciate Father's honesty, sharing himself, his own story and experience with that and his willingness to talk about that. So I'm really looking forward to sharing what he has to say. Let's jump into that conversation now. Father Frank Pavone is with me. Welcome, Father. Hi, Brooke. Good to be with you. It's so good to meet you in person. And of course, Father Frank Pavone is the National Director of Priests for Life, the President of National Pro-Life Religious Council, Pastoral Director of Rachel's Vineyard, and the Silent No More Awareness Campaign. You're busy, so I'm so glad that you're popping in to do this. And I know that you are, not just because of the marketing material, but I watch your daily diary on YouTube, which is so fun. So you kind of give us a little peek into your daily schedule. I do. I do. What I do each day is I do a short video. It's usually between five and 10 minutes. I literally go hour by hour. What did I do that day? And, and Brooke, I do this for a number of reasons, because first of all, we as leaders have to be accountable. There are a lot of people, I'm sure among our listeners here now, a lot of people out there who make it possible for us to do our work by their prayer support, by their financial support, by their involvement with our activities. And so I'm working for them. I'm working for the Lord, of course, for the unborn, but also for the people who support us. So I want want to be accountable. I want to be transparent. There's a terrible lack of transparency often among leadership, whether we're talking about in the political arena or in the church. And so I want to be transparent. And also I I want to be able to inspire people with the broad range of activities that we're engaged in, the activities that we do, and the multifaceted nature of our ministry, and just sharing that. I love what I'm doing, and therefore I love sharing what I'm doing. I, and that comes across, and I often wonder, how do you do it? All of the ministries that you're involved in, your videos, your pro-life activism, your writing, every day, your spiritual regimen, adoration, holy mass, and I love that you broadcast that as well. Yes. I follow you on Instagram, so I see every day. Yes. Mass, your homilies, holy hours that you offer. How to see actually day by day how you're doing it. How you it put it together. Has yeah. been has also been really beautiful mm-hmm. because you're working on so many different things. I saw that already underway is the planning for March for Life. Very much so. The March for Life in D.C. and also the Walk for Life West Coast. And I think this year, for two reasons, those events are going to be bigger than ever. First of all, because people are tired of 
lockdowns, isolation, social distancing, they want to get together, uh, number one. And, and of course, last year was a big disappointment, both on the East Coast and the West Coast, for so many people that they weren't able to be there, as we've been doing for 40 years, right? Yeah. More than 40 years. And so it'll be big for that reason. It'll be big, too, because of the, the, the political obstacles we're facing in Washington. And people want to stand up and say, we will not be silenced. You know, we will not be canceled, you know? Every year, the March for Life, the pro-life cause is important. It's vital. This year in particular, and what's yes. coming around the corner, that I don't know that there's been a more important time to really use your voice, obviously our prayers, and to rally anyone maybe that just has been on the sidelines for a while or believes in life, understands the cause, but everything is so volatile right now. I think also that turns people away. They just want to stay in their house. They feel safe. They don't want to get out and be involved in a confrontation. But why is it important to get out there? Yes, because there is a lot of there is a lot of planning to be done and, and, and there's a lot of, of uh, inviting to be done. We need to give people a chance to, uh, to think about uh, making plans to come. Maybe for some people in groups, it's a matter of raising the money, uh, you know, to, to make it there. But just to get the conversation going. Why do we come together? What are we going to be doing? One of the things we do, of course, is the, the National Prayer Service, the morning of the March for Life. That's a critically important interdenominational event. And of course, another big thing we do is the Silent No More campaign, bringing the, the people who have had abortions, the moms, the dads, even the grandparents and other others involved, uh, to publicly share their stories. That's part of both the March for Life and the Walk for Life. And the young people. We need the young people. Mm -hmm. They mm -hmm. always show up yes, in they do. incredible force. But now with platforms like TikTok and a lot going on with the critical race theory. And I saw a beautiful response to a really vile tweet that someone had said. It was a woman who said, if you're a white woman and you're pregnant, do yourself a favor and go to Planned Parenthood. And it was a young woman that said that. You simply responded and said, I will pray for you. You were very pastoral in your response. And we do have an incredible army of young people who are pro-life and on platforms like TikTok. They have extraordinary mm -hmm. witnesses. They have amazing apologetics. They mm -hmm. have their own story. That must give you a lot of hope, too, just to oh, see definitely. that demographic. And, and you know why the young people are so involved? One of the big reasons is they're survivors. They know that they themselves, in the first nine months of their lives, were considered to be non-persons under the law. That's scary. Their lives were not protected. So in a very real way, with that awareness, when they speak up for these babies in the womb, they're speaking up for themselves. Mm. They're saying, I should have been protected wow. when I was in the womb. They also see the devastation abortion brings in the lives of those around them, because we've been going down this road so long now in America that that evidence is just piled high, high as the sky. Friends, even they may see it in their parents, they may see it in their grandparents, they may see it in people who don't even realize that they are conveying it, but the wound of abortion is, cannot be hidden. And, and young people pick up on it very, very well that something's wrong, you know, something's wrong in the, whether it's in the parenting relationship or the sibling relationship or some relationship, because abortion harms everything it touches, including all those family relationships. But that's what I love because when I engage in conversations, my, my pro-choice acquaintances, people that I know, they say, you just care about the baby, but when you see what you're doing, what you've always done in protecting life, you've got Rachel's Vineyard, mm -hmm. so you're not just addressing that moment, but the after effects of the woman who 
who did have an abortion right. and the healing that takes place because like you said, there's evidence that there is grief. They need to heal and they need to grieve that loss. That's right, tremendous grief. And uh, abortiontestimonies.com, I would invite people to go read the testimonies. You know, people wonder, oh, is abortion a good thing? You know, should, maybe, are we helping women? Is it women's health? Women's health? You know, read what it did to them. Let the voice of experience inform you on that. I, I, abortiontestimonies.com, I think it's a great, a great challenge to give to people who might think that abortion is a solution, but these people say differently. And you do so much, whether it's the testimonies or the ultrasounds. Also, your booklet, I wanted to ask you about that. It is a Christmas for the Unborn book that you published this year, though. It's actually going to be printed for distribution yes, for Advent. we've had it as an e-book uh, for some years. But, you know, yes, what I did was I took the, ver whether it was articles or, or homilies I've given over the years during the Advent and Christmas season, always relating it to abortion. I said, let me put these together and make it an Advent Christmas reflection. And so I think people are going to really enjoy that. I mean, I, I'm one of those uh, real lovers of Christmas. You know, I count down for it all year long. And so, so to celebrate it in the light of pro-life is very special. And I think Christmas for the Unborn will help all of us and it'll help preachers too to bring this up. That I was trying to look. I have a holy card for the Feast of the Holy Innocents. I want to say ah, it's December 28th. 28th. Think about the, the martyrdom of the Holy Innocents. They were the first martyrs. Yes. And then this reflection book, which is so powerful and needed. What a gift that you can give your family. The other thing I wanted to ask about, because you're so busy, is, oh, you're speaking at the conference this week. You're topic is mobilizing Catholics in the cause for life. So kind of going back to what we just discussed, as we're recording this, it's before you've presented. So can you give us a little preview about what you'll talk about? Right. Well, I'm going to show both the motivation that our faith gives us to defend the unborn. It's not something we're adding on to our faith. It flows from it directly. Uh, and, and, and then also, you know, the Catholic Church has so many great resources to fight this battle. Whether we're talking about the spiritual graces God gives, the, the sacraments and prayer, but also the writings and the teachings, the key documents of the church that continue to nourish our pro-life commitment. We'll, we'll show a lot of these things. And then just the structure of the church, the parishes, the many organizations and apostolates, we infuse them with the pro-life conviction and we can bring an end to this. Amen. We can do it. You think about truth because that is the fundamental truth. Life is truth, the yes. fundamental right. And you wrote something that I want to read and get your thoughts on. You recently posted it. You said this, there is an unprecedented cancel culture taking root in the Catholic Church and it's got to stop. Some bishops are trying to get priests to be quiet about politics. Sorry, but I am not going along with it. Not now, not ever. You have to be either oblivious to evil or complicit in not fighting like crazy against the godless, anti-life, anti-American left. And this goes back to truth and defending truth. You say it's common sense and it's just plain healthy to speak your mind. We are neither robots nor slaves. We are human beings whose dignity includes the right to speak. The church's documents talk about the need to pass moral judgment on matters related to politics. So we have a mandate to do so. And you give three examples. You say the Second Vatican Council, and then, and then you go on to talk about uh, other apostolic documents. I was reading the comments and just the support. What motivated you to write that post and what's the response been? Well, one of the things that motivates me is the people who try to shut me up, even in the church. And people who have known me over the decades, they know, you know I've had 
problems at different times when even church leaders have said, oh, Father Frank, you know, you're being too, too aggressive on abortion, or you're being too political. You know, when abortion stops being aggressive against the little babies, then come and talk to me about too, being too aggressive on abortion. But we see so much compromise. You know, people are tired of it in the political arena. And this is why, by the way, so many people, more people in record numbers than ever, voted for, for, for Donald J. Trump. This was a very unconventional candidate. Why? Because people were fed up with politics as usual. Yeah. Too much beating around the bush, too much compromise, too much cowardice. Then they saw Mr. Trump come along and say, ah, this is a, this is a breath of fresh air. You know what? The same thing is happening in the church. People are tired of compromised leadership, cowardice. Oh, well, we know this, but we don't really want to say it. You know, no. Mm -hmm. If we believe, if we see something happening in front of us, we see a holocaust of, of, of mass murder of children happening, all the devastation, as we mentioned before, that it causes to moms, dads, families, and society. How can we be neutral in a scenario like that? There is no neutrality there. And yet, sometimes within the church, I mean, there's a, there's a legitimate point to be made when we say, as the church documents say, the church was not constituted by our Lord to have a political mission per se. The church is not a, a political party. The church does not write the laws and mm -hmm. govern, the, govern the community. Of course not. So there's a point to be made about what should be normally a stance of neutrality, political party A has a solution for crime in, in, a, neighbor, in, a, in a city. Uh, political party B has a different plan. Okay, well the church is not there to advance one or another plan. But what if instead of two different plans to fight crime, a political party or candidate came along and said, oh no, I believe in the right to crime. I think there should be more crime. Now there's where the church cannot be neutral. So what we have to understand, part of why, why I'm saying this is that what we have to understand, we're no longer in a situation where it's the ordinary political disagreements on which we could take a stand of mm -hmm. neutrality as a church. No, this is a disagreement not just of policies, it's a disagreement about principles. We've got the Democrat party actually saying that it is good to kill babies by abortion. It is good, and by the way, we should all be paying for it. Now, the church cannot sit back and say, oh, well, we're not political. And, and when, when preachers like me stand up and start addressing the politics, we're told, no, no, you're a preacher, you gotta keep quiet. Right, I remember when you were on last time, we were talking about Kamala Harris and Biden, I think it was before the election, the last time that we connected via interview, and you were talking about how aggressive, aggressively pro-choice these candidates were, which we know, I don't think they try to conceal that. But recently, the bishops drafted a document regarding communion and, and Biden. What, what are your thoughts on that? It's such a painful thing for, for our church and for the faithful. It's painful because people are making sacrifices to live the faith. People who are receiving communion know that they need to prepare and they need to be, they need to be worthy. We're not absolutely worthy. Worthy in the sense of, hey, Lord, I'm, I'm seriously trying to be in union with you, which is what communion means. And so it's hurtful then to see people who, Biden, I mean, Pelosi, and nobody's asking them about their Catholicism. They're bringing it up. You see, people say, oh, well, you know, the bishops are attacking, or our church is attacking. No, no, not at all. We're not even bringing it up. You know, frankly, I'm not interested in what religion they want to profess. The Constitution of the United States says there shall be no religious test for public office. Mm -hmm. So we don't vote for someone because they're Catholic. We don't vote for someone because they're not Catholic. 
We vote for someone because they're going to do a good job in the office to which we're electing them. But they're the ones now bringing up their Catholic faith, and they're the ones bringing it up in the context of abortion. And so the bishops are going to, uh, you know, obviously have to turn around and say, well, wait a minute, we're the ones entrusted with the responsibility of defining the meaning of what it is to be Catholic. Not that we make it up. They don't make it up. We've inherited it from the, you know, two millennia. Right. But the bishops are saying, well, we're the primary teachers of the faith. When an influential politician like Biden, Pelosi, start to, to brand around their, oh, Catholicism, and, you know, Pelosi says, oh, well, that makes me an expert about these matters of childbirth and abortion. And it's obviously okay. It's a woman's right. It's about equality. The bishops have to step in. Now, they're afraid to appear to be too political, well, that kind of goes back to the other point that we were mm -hmm. making. There's no neutrality here that, that's permitted. So, yeah, they, you know, they'll, they'll write a document. I, I think they'll write a document that brings about the teachings on the Eucharist. But I don't see them coming down very clear or hard on these specific men and women by name. Some individual bishops will and mm -hmm. already have. Mm -hmm. And that, that trend... I saw Archbishop Cordelion. He had a very strong yeah. statement, which was good, uh, of San Francisco. Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. And uh, there will be more. There need to be. You, you disciple so many, and you are the fearless leader, I think, for so many who would consider you the face of the pro-life movement in, in the Catholic Church, at least here in the West. And... Who disciples you? Do you have a spiritual director? I saw a video where Father Donald Calloway, Father Chris Alar, both will be here. And it's, it was this beautiful fraternity, this brotherhood. And it just made me wonder about your own spiritual direction. And you, this is a spiritual battle. It's spiritual warfare. Yes, and you yes. are in it. You've been in the trenches for so long with your combat boots and your rosary. Yeah. What is it that edifies you and, and gives you consolation? Yeah, a number of things. Of course, the, 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 the basic elements of the spiritual life always have to be there. So yes, prayer, uh, confession, the sacrament, spiritual direction. I, I've been blessed with a number of spiritual directors who I actually consider saints. Uh, and so, yes, I take advantage of that. But, you know, it, I also have beautiful networks of accountability. And priests need that, especially priests like me who are in specialized ministries. You know, I'm not in a religious community. I'm not in a parish. But, but I have both within the Catholic priesthood and within the wider Christian uh, a body of uh, our evangelical brothers and sisters are very involved in the pro-life movement and I belong to a number of pastors groups where we are accountable to one another and uh, and that's important for people because these are all pastors who also like me have very public ministries and right. so we get together for prayer accountability to one another and uh, and that's part of what nourishes me and it comes through because I, even whether it's your daily diary or your videos or a mass, that you are being sustained and it is extraordinary and it gives us hope. And I want to wrap on, wrap up on that. I just, next to the computer here and our setup, I have Cardinal Robert Seurat, his book, The Day Is Now Far Spent, which mm -hmm. I love. I have dog-eared and highlighted and tabbed. And there's a quote here that makes me think of you. He says, hope must be the virtue that makes us smile like a child when we are alone against everyone. I dare to invite you to put your hope in God. Hope does not disappoint. And then he goes on to talk about faith. Faith broadens our view. It allows us to look at everything as God himself does with the eyes of God. It expands our intellect and it does not close off. Just the reminder that freedom is connected to truth and the virtues, hope, 
faith, charity, love that you transmit through the ministry and through the work you do. And I know on behalf of all of us, the laity and those that support you, we are so grateful. And we want to support you. So for those who haven't plugged in lately, tell us how we can find you. Yes, endabortion.us is a web address that goes to our main website at Priests for Life, endabortion.us. People will see here there the action alerts that they they can get involved day by day in the activities we recommend. The prayer campaigns, they can plug in with that. Uh, The educational materials, including things they can share with their pastors, the pregnancy resources for alternatives to abortion, the healing after abortion, and the financial assistance they can give us. Those ways and more are all there at that um, website, endabortion.us. Love to hear from people. And who's your patron saint? Well, mine personally is Francis de Sales. Okay. St. Francis de Sales okay. was a beautiful example of the kind of serenity, you know, among all the chaos, yes. you know. He really has beautiful teachings, as, as, as I'm sure many of our listeners know, about how to keep that Christian uh, peace, of, peace of mind, peace yes. of soul. That's always been one of the most attractive aspects for me of his spirituality and of and of Christian spirituality in general. And that prepares us for the bat for the battle. Yes, and that's right? what we need. That that indwelling to be yeah. to be present and on fire. St. Francis de Sales pray for us and we will pray for you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. The indefatigable Father Frank Pavone, please keep Father in your prayers, his whole team, his work. We lift up our nation to Our Lady of Sorrows and St. Michael the Archangel defend us in battle. We need to keep praying like never before. Thank you so much to my guests today and thank you for being a part of the show. Would love to hear from you. The Brook Taylor Show at gmail.com is the easiest way to reach out. Please, if you are blessed by what you hear, share the show with others. You can also give it a positive review or a like if you are subscribed on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere that you normally hear the show. God bless you, friends. Until next time, peace and love. The Brooke Taylor Show is produced by Mark Cumming. Find out more at cominghomestudio.com. Brooke's audio project, Pray With Me, a treasury of Catholic family prayers, teaches families how to pray the Hail Mary and the Our Father in Latin, plus so much more. Pray with Brooke's family and learn the beauty and history behind some of our most beloved prayers. Pray With Me is available on Amazon or CD Baby. Find Brooks' two devotionals, Choose Joy and Choose Hope, on Amazon or brooktaylor.us. To book Brooke for your church or event, please contact St. Gabriel Media at gmail.com.